running this type of meeting and running it effectively and properly has been one of the most important things to help our fellowship because when I was pastoring my first church, I'd work all year to get some people into church they, and then I'd bring them to the AGM and never see them again. They just, I don't want to go there anymore, you know, with those people. They suddenly turn feral at these meetings. And so I learned long ago that if you don't fix this up in your church and, and get this underlying process working properly and have the process of membership operating properly and effectively, that really is damaging to your church. So Pastor Rob, I want to congratulate you on having these run so effectively and well and without hassles and tensions and difficulties and, you know, without people in the back row over there looking through you, why did we spend this on postage and why did we do this and how come away, come away. It's brilliant. So well done. You're a wise man. Wise man. Only problem I've got is with your whistleblower's policy. Um, you've got no choice in a whistleblower's policy. You do know that now. It's law. You've got to have one. But I noticed that yours didn't have a whistle with it. So I think you better get a, you know, collect your whistle at the end of the service and uh, you'll be all right. Not the plastic one they put on airplanes. That's cynical, isn't it? A plastic whistle. If you're going to crash in an airplane, what's the chance of the whistle surviving? I mean, come on. The whistle's worth about four cents. And they're going to tell you when you get in the water, blow on that. Yeah, right. You're dead. That's it. They didn't. If they really thought the whistle was going to do you any good, they'd give you a good one, wouldn't they? Anyway, all right. Let's stop the nonsense. Um, I want to talk to you about something also a little bit odd. Or if it wasn't odd this morning, this might be odd again. In the book of Mark, you've read these things, right? But I don't know if you've noticed. It says, and he sent out two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. That's weird. And Jesus said, follow him. See? And if you follow him, he'll take you to the place. And he's prepared the Passover for you there, for all of us. But, all right. So here is this strange person. This guy who was carrying a pitcher of water, which is the task of women. And he goes, so they said, You'll know this guy. Go down to the well and just watch for the only guy that will come along, fill up a pitcher of water, and carry it. He's the man, the odd one out. Now, I want you to think about that guy for a minute because it's a bit strange, yes, that he was doing it, but why was he doing it? We don't know. See, is it that this man had a certain personality and he didn't care and he was going to help his wife no matter what. Was he caring and compassionate and understanding? Was his wife ill? Did he have nobody else to get the water for him but himself? See, he wasn't a poor man. He wasn't a man without means because he had set up the entire Passover. He definitely could have sent somebody else. So was this some sort of a um, secret sign? A way he could be identified by the disciples of Jesus, but the way other people wouldn't know that he was identifying himself to the disciples of Jesus. We don't know, but it's mysterious. It's sort of the start of one of those mysterious novels or movies that you've got this guy doing something strange. And what's his name? 
I don't know. Do you know? Who was he? Where did he come from? After this, where did he go? I don't know. The guy appears briefly with one strange thing. He's carrying a water pot. He has already prepared the place for the Passover, and then he's gone. He appears, he's gone. He's invisible. We never saw him before. We never see him again after. Once you start looking at that, say, hang on, there's an invisible man. We don't know anything about him, but at the right time, in the right place, he appears. And then, when he's finished his task, he's gone from the pages of the scripture. But he's not the only one. There's another guy, and Jesus said to them uh, in Luke chapter 18 or 19, uh, you go out and you'll see this donkey by the side of the road. Just untie it. And bring it to me. And if anybody asks you, you say the master has use of him, need of him. So listen to what it says. As they were untying the donkey, its owners asked them, why are you untying the donkey? And they said, the Lord needs it. Okay then. So a guy walks up the driveway to your car, opens the door, gets inside, and you say, what are you doing with my car? And he says, oh, the master has need of it. And you say, yeah, okay then. Nah. Now, this was expected. That man was expecting the disciples. He had the donkey already, all tied up, ready to go. The disciples turned up and he says, oh, yeah, you're the guys. Okay, you can go. That's it. But who was he? Who were they? I don't know. Again, they were invisible. They seemed to appear, do their job, and disappear from the pages of Scripture. They were Invisible, if you like. For the rest of the time, they're not there. They, they are as if they don't exist, but they do exist. And then they come in, do something important, and vanish again. But it's not the only one. In Matthew 27, verse 55, And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministered to him. They ministered to him. Do you know most of the financial support that Jesus received in his life came from? Women. Many women. And we don't know any of them. We don't have any names. We have a few names of other women later on, but we don't know that they are the many women. We know some women, but they're not many women. There's only a few women we know about that were connected with Jesus. Well, who are all the others? And where'd they come from? And where do they go? We know that there were some women in the household of Herod. Who were they? Where'd they come from? Where'd they go? We don't know. There was that guy, remember? He turned up at the tomb of Jesus. A strange individual who followed Jesus into the garden. And he was taken captive at the, in the garden. And then when everyone deserted him, the scripture says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment and his underpants was following Jesus. Must have been a very warm night. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garden. Who? Who was this guy? A lot of speculation about who he might be. Nobody knows. He's not mentioned. He's not named. What did he do? I don't know. He just, like you think Jesus is there with his disciples, and then all of a sudden all the disciples run away, and there's a guy left who wasn't a disciple, and he's just left and he follows them. If it, it's, I mean, there he is, the invisible man again. He's not there, then he is there. And when you look through the scripture, there are many of these invisible people. 
For example, again, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 21. You remember the disciples made a mistake in the establishment of the church. <laughs> it's the first thing they did, the first meeting like this, they made a blunder. That was a big blunder. Because they said, well, we were 12. Now we are 11. We're going to have an election and appoint the 12th man. Why? Who told them to do that? It was unnecessary. But they had a meeting, rather like this, and they had an election. Listen to what it says. So they nominated, okay, two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Who? Have you heard of them before? Now remember, these were the two nominees to fill the place of the 12th person. The 12th, the, the 12th apostle. Surely he would be, they would be so well known you'd already know their name. But you'd never heard of them before. And these were not new people. These were not strange people. But they were invisible people. They had been following Jesus all the time. Because they had a criteria by which they were going to select these names. And so they fulfilled the criteria. They were there all the time. They were listening to Jesus preach. They were in the crowd. They were active and involved. But you never heard of them. They're not there. And so these men who accompanied, we are told, all the time that Jesus went in and out amongst us, these men, from those men, they took two. But there were more than two. There were a lot of men. And who were the thousands that were saved on the day of Pentecost? I don't know. And who were the 120 in the upper room? I haven't got a clue. If you add up all the people you actually know in the life of Jesus, start clocking them up, you're lucky to get the 20-odd. And yet, in the upper room, we get 120. Who are all these strange people? Where'd they come from? I don't know. What I'm trying to say to you is, when you look at the New Testament, Actually, it's filled with more unknown people than known people. It's filled with more invisible people that you can't see than visible people that you can see. So when you go through the book of Acts, for example, how many visible people are there in the book of Acts? Now, the book of Acts covers a period of time, you know, depending on, it's like a piece of string, but what is it, 15, 25 years, somewhere in this span of time that the book of Acts actually covers. We know that it's finished before AD 70, so, you know, Jesus Christ dies around about, what, <sighs> AD 32, something like that. So, where is this whole thing coming? I don't, hey, I don't know, but there's all these people but when you come to the book of Acts, you got, well, you got Peter, you got James, okay? You don't even have all the 12 apostles in the book of Acts. They're not really followed or noted. Then, so you start following Peter, then you've got Stephen, then you've got James, then you've got Paul. Oh, Barnabas. Yes, you have Barnabas. And then, oh, yeah, Timothy makes a little show. Silas does a little bit of a show. Uh, you've got an evangelist in there called Philip. Yeah, and, and you start counting them, and you've got just about enough fingers. Is that all that's going on during that period of Christian history? No. There's, there's an awful lot going on here, but you don't hear about them. They're not mentioned. And for us, sometimes we can start thinking that they were the only people that were doing anything. But actually, they are the minority of people that are doing something. So I've taken long enough. Let's get to the point. There are more unknown, invisible followers who are active following Jesus Christ than there are known, visible followers of Jesus Christ. And this is important for us. 
Because you see, the unknown followers are really the ones doing the work. Yeah. It's okay for Paul to turn up, preach his little sermons, preach all night, people fall out the windows, and then he nicks off. Who were the people who kept the church going? I don't know. Who were they? Who were these elders he appointed? Who were the pastors who stayed behind? Who were the other evangelists that preached all over the place? We don't know. But I want to tell you, the work of the church was not being done by the few that you were told about. It was done by the many who are invisible to the pages of history. Invisible. Invisible. Unknown, unseen. But you see, when we think about that, we get into a situation with ourselves sometimes and we start saying, well, you know, I'm doing all this work and I don't get any appreciation. Nobody seems to recognize what I'm doing. That's the way it is. That, that's the normal way of things. That's the way the kingdom works. Your name will not go up in lights. A book will not be written about you. You'll not be given a plaque on a wall. That's the way of the kingdom. We tend to want our lives to be modeled on the ones who are seen, where in fact we're expected to model on the multitude which are virtually unknown. That's who we are. We're not the known, we're the unknown. You'll never, ever, ever probably receive the sort of recognition you think you deserve. That's the way it is in the kingdom, yeah? Now, see, there was a, a prophet in the Old Testament, and he got himself all tied up about this. He got himself very depressed. And one day he said to God, how come I'm the only one left? See, I'm the only one doing this job, and you've abandoned me and left me alone, and that woman's trying to kill me, and I've run away to save my life, and I am the only one. And God revealed to him that there were a multitude of others. That he wasn't the only one. And we get ourselves into only one thinking. It's me. I'm the only one. If it wasn't for me, this church would sink. If it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for me, this youth group wouldn't work. If it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have enough money. to. If it wasn't for me, 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 I'm the one, I do it. I can't tell you how many times I've had people on my staff who come to me, sit down, tears in their eyes, and say, Pastor, if it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for me, there wouldn't be any pastoral care going on in this church. Oh, come on. If it wasn't for me, I'm the only one to follow up the new converts. If it wasn't for me. And, and it's a sad moment because obviously they've been going through all the stress and everything else. But they've got themselves by thinking wrong into this position that because they can only see themselves doing it, that they assume only themselves are doing it. Yeah? And you get on a ministry team sometimes and one of them starts thinking like, well, you know, it's the youth that are driving this church and I'm the youth pastor and I'm not appreciated, but without me and without the youth, this church would fall apart. You get that sort of thinking going on. Huh? I'm the only one praying. I'm the one holding this church up in prayer and it's too much for me, pastor. Uh, it's ridiculous, but we can get ourselves into that mode, into that place, and when you do, it hurts you. It actually destroys you because it's a deception. You are never doing it alone. Yeah? There are others, but you just don't know who they are. Isn't it a strange thing in the kingdom of God? God doesn't tell you about him. 
And he doesn't tell him about you. You know what? He says, just don't worry about it. Just do your thing. Just do your thing. Don't worry about it. Is there anybody else doing this? Do your thing. Do your thing. Do your thing. Just do what I tell you to do. That's all you need to know. Because, see, being known or unknown doesn't decide how significant you are. But in churches today, being known is seen to be significant. I'm significant because I'm known. I'm significant because I'm appreciated. I'm significant because I'm thanked. I'm significant because I've been given prominence. I'm significant because the pastor mentioned me. You're not significant at all because of those things. That is not significance. Significance is whether God knows. That's the significance we pursue. But are we prepared to be invisible? Hmm? See, just because you're not known doesn't mean you're not important. Okay? If, if you're invisible, it doesn't mean you're less significant or less important than the person who is visible. All right, so someone gets up and leads the worship up there, and that's wonderful. And someone gets up and does whatever and does the service, and someone gets up and preaches, all right, that's fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. Makes no difference in the level of significance or influence or fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. We've got to get out of this idea that something public is the thing. Because I'm telling you now, the invisible people of the Scripture made it happen. They were the facilitators. They were the providers. They did it all. They provided the donkey. They provided the room. They put the food on the table. They, made, they put the chairs out. They did it all. And all Jesus had to do was walk in and have it and walk out the door and leave it to them and they clean it up. And they made it happen. And the church can't operate without a multitude of invisible people. And the invisible are the vast majority and the invisible are absolutely essential to everything that God does. The church is built on the foundation of the invisible. Now we say the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. Yes, yes, true. That's true. The scripture, here it is. There's the foundation of the apostles. That they are all useless without the multitude of the invisible. Isn't that right? Think about it. Yeah. So you don't need to be known. You need to be faithful. You don't need to be visible. You just need to be persistent and dedicated and accountable and dependable. That's what we need to be. It's not important to be known. It's important to be used by God. And we're going to have moments in our engagement with the church and God. We have moments where you're going to have to choose. Do you want to be known by God or do you want to be known by others? Because God's going to ask you to do a lot of things that are totally invisible. You remember what he says? So when you do this, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand's going to do. Why? This is not important. Not important people know how much you give. Be invisible in your giving. Notice what he said about your praying. When you pray, lock yourself in a room. Shut the door. And pray to God who will hear you. Because prayer is not a public thing. If you really want to pray, 
you can do it invisibly. You don't need the applause of people. So, oh, that was a good prayer. Ooh, yeah. We'll get you to pray. Ooh, yeah. Come on. Ooh, yeah. Get him up. Whoa, get him to pray. Now, see, real prayer, prayer that really changes the world, is invisible. Done by invisible people. It's not about themselves. It's not about our prayer. I'm praying. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You remember what Jesus said? When you go to a place, don't take the front seat. Go sit in the back. Isn't that right? Come on, think about all this teaching of Jesus. He's actually want you to embrace your invisibility. Be prepared to walk into a room and people don't applaud. Be prepared to walk into a room where people don't say, Hey, how are you going? Would you like a seat? Come forward, sit here. Be prepared just to, to serve God. Not to walk out of a meeting, which is an AGM or a service or after a special event. The pastor didn't thank me. He didn't mention my name. He left me off the list. See, that's unimportant. Relish your invisibility. Hmm? Relish it. Because then you're part of the true multitude of people who have from the very beginning been foundational, essential to the church. The role of the unknown people, the one that nobody else knows about, is, well, it's essential. And, and when we're part of them, we're part of the essential. We have to make some distinctions here. See, what we do may be invisible to others, but, and it seems trite, it's never invisible to God. You are invisible to others, but not to God. People might come in and not realize, well, the church was vacuumed this week. People might come in and realize, well, they didn't even notice we painted the walls. So? So? They didn't even realize we did the gardening. So? So? I feel so unappreciated. So? Now, let me pause here and say this. Appreciation is important. And as a spouse... You don't want to be treating your other as invisible. Not good. Not good. This is spiritual church stuff. Don't take it home. Okay? Don't take it home. I'll show appreciation. And, uh, anyway, pay attention. Like when your kids come home with funny colored hair. Stuff like that. Pay attention. To it. Be supportive of it. Be encouraging of it. He looks like Sean Penn now, don't you think? He's got that good looking thing about him going, huh? Anyway, look. What I'm trying to say is, it, it's a kingdom thing. Uh, and understand it's a kingdom thing and embrace it as a kingdom thing. Because God, to God, you are never invisible. Though many times and probably almost always, you will be invisible. And what you did would be invisible. And what you do will be taken for granted. Because when those other 12 apostles turned up for the, for the big shindig, at the, you know, uh, uh, at the last supper, they didn't think who put the food on the table. And they didn't hang around to thank them. They just nicked off. Didn't they? Walked in, went out to the prayer meeting at the Garden of Olives. That's it. You don't have any reference to anybody saying thank you very much. Because it's not important. See, that's not important. God knows. God will take care of them. Even that little widow who stuck her pennies in the, in the wooden offering box 
you don't have a clue who she was. But Jesus honors her, but then doesn't tell you her name. Imagine that on Sunday morning. Oh, I just want to thank the sister who came in here this week and scrubbed everything, cleaned everything, did everything. She worked for eight hours a day. She really busted the gut. Thank you, sister. That's it. No name. Oh, come on. Who was she? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God knows. God will reward. Huh? See, the work of the invisible is the most important work of all. The invisible unknown are fruitful and effective and do significant things and are prepared to always be invisible and are unknown. So in a church like this, most of us are going to be invisible. Invis and if you are known by a few, you are still invisible to the many. Because I want to tell you about your church, see? You've got a beautiful church, a lovely church. It's a great church, a strong church. Brilliant, good progress. And nobody knows about you. I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. You are invisible. You know that, don't you? You might be visible for a moment because of your past is significant in the, in the state of South Australia, but we don't know a thing about you, Victoria. And Queensland wouldn't know, couldn't care, because you're not Queenslander. So, you know, you are invisible. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Your church is never going to be famous. See that nice video clip up there? You're not going to be on one of them. It's not going to happen. See, the vast majority of churches around the world, they don't make CDs. They don't put out DVDs. The pastors don't write books. But that's where the work of the kingdom is happening. It's happening. And you can be deceived sometimes because you can think of all the flash stuff and you can assume that the ones who got the flash stuff, they're the ones doing the job. Not true. The job is being done here in Port Lincoln. It's being done here. And it can't be done on television by somebody somewhere else broadcasting to Port Lincoln. It will never happen. Huh? You, the invisible, you are here. You are going to do the job. Hmm? So the question is, are you willing to be invisible? Well, you already are, whether you like it or not. But you're going to embrace your invisibility. All right? do you, or do you feel that you, you really need recognition and significance? And we could sit, we pastors here could sit and reminisce about the number of people that have come to us over the years and told us that they're going off because they're unappreciated and they're not recognized and, and they vanish anyway. They vanish anyway. They vanish into insignificance and un, unusually unfruitfulness and ineffectiveness. Or you can stay where you are and be invisible and be very fruitful and very effective. Hmm? See, Elijah, as I told you, was discouraged because he thought he was alone. And that is one of the things the devil will do to you. He'll tell you you're not appreciated. And you tell him, thank you. That's good. I'm invisible. God appreciates me. What I do is seen by God. What I do will be rewarded by God. And I embrace my invisibility. Yeah? Mm. So let's quickly round this up, eh? And uh, the disciples, one day, came to Jesus, all puffed up and excited. And John said to Jesus, teacher, 
We saw someone using your name, someone, to cast out demons. But we told him to stop. <laughs> and Jesus said, don't stop him. You don't need to be known to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. You don't need to be known. Hmm? It's, it's not the guy with the magic hand who gets the pamphlets put out in newspaper advertisements, television endorsements, CDs and books. He's not the one that can do the miracles. That's part of all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. We can also see signs following our faith, can't we? This doesn't depend on the recognition. So the invisible God knows his invisible servants. And when you are invisible, you share something of the nature of God himself. For the Son is the image of the invisible God, Paul says in Colossians 1. The image of the invisible God. How can you have an image of an invisible? It doesn't flip, it makes sense. It's gobbledygook. Hmm? Unless you understand something by it. And you understand that Christ was the image of the invisible God because actually you only see God through seeing the sun. And you are the invisible image of an invisible God. Are you not? Because through you, we see God. You will never see God. It's impossible to see God. You will never, ever see God. You'll only ever see some, perhaps some sort of manifestation that he wants to show you. But even the manifestation gets in the way because God is invisible. And when you have seen a manifestation, you haven't seen God. Isn't that right? It's a place filled with smoke and lightning and fire. If there was an appearance here and shone and it looked like the Son of God. Have you seen God? No, you haven't seen God. Because God is not a form and a shape. He's not material. You've only seen something he chose to show you. So you have never seen God. Actually, all those things get in the way to finding God. Because you think you found him. But you haven't found him. You found an appearance of him. But that wasn't him. So if you truly want to seek God, you are seeking the invisible. And you don't seek a sign. Because the sign is not God. And if you seek a sign and you find a sign, then you won't find God. You just found a sign of God and that is not God. So you didn't find him. Isn't that right? So God is, I want to say, he's, he's always invisible to us. And when we are prepared to also be invisible, we sort of share his nature. And we can reflect his invisibility to the world through our character and through our works and we can express that to the world like Jesus did I'm finishing here don't be dependent on recognition don't crave honor don't measure your effectiveness by the recognition you've been given or the recognition that you receive you're not the smartest guy in the room because you've got a degree there could be other people much smarter than you don't have a piece of paper and you do know that universities, they're well-educated but not very bright sometimes, don't you? Yeah. You see, the unknown are not unfruitful people. Some of the most fruitful people in the history of the world are not known to us. Some of the things that have happened in great revivals around the world, some of the great things that have occurred and churches that have been planted and revivals that have occurred have happened without your knowledge. I could tell you a revival's happening now in the northern parts of Vietnam, in the hill country, 
I can tell you now of revivals that are happening in parts of China and other parts of the world. I can tell you of people, you know, know their name, but I tell you the work they're doing is far greater than any work any of us will ever do. But they are known to everybody except the few and God. Yeah? Unknown, but not unfruitful. Unknown, but not effect, ineffective. Unknown. And yet not unrewarded because their reward will come from God. Unknown in the world, but not unknown in heaven. Unknown by people, not unknown by God. I can just imagine a day when I stand in that massive multitude in heaven where the singing has been fantastic and the angels have been leading the great choir of the church and it's like the roar of mighty waters and then there's a little pause while he starts calling out those who are, uh, who are going to be rewarded. And you'll hear, okay, Where's Billy? Billy who? Hey, Billy, you're the guy. Come on up here and receive your reward. Who's that? Who's that? Where did he come from? What did he do? I never heard of him. Did he have a television show? Did he write a book? Did he put out CDs? I never heard of him before. Yeah, but he gets a great reward. Unknown by all of us, known by God. Hmm? I can just imagine it happening, friends. So I just want to say to you, Listen, he will give eternal life, it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God alone offers. Not seeking the glory and the honor and the immortality that's offered by men, but he will give them eternal life. Who keep on doing good, even though they're invisible. So the secret here for you, I think, as leaders of the church, is that your true significance is not measured by your degree of knowing or being known. Your true significance, actually, is by you keep on doing good. You just keep on doing good. You just keep on serving him, and you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah? Just keep on doing it. I was uh, with your pastor and his wife the other day, and we pulled over to this terrible, dumpy place on the side of the road. And, um, you know, I just want to take a picture of it. It was so bad. And uh, there's this lady there, and she had this dog that was nearly dead. And um, she told me it's nearly dead. She said he's 15 years old. So uh, how many years is that in dog years? She told me. I says, oh, yeah, okay. But I thought I, I should buy something. So I went into the fridge and I, I got a can of Coke. I got the wrong one. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I, was, I, I got the can. I put it there. And it had a name on it. And, and I forget what the name was. Sarah. I said, look, I'm sorry. I said, I, I, I know this is Sarah's Coke, but I'd like to buy it. And she's grumpy old lady looked at me a little bit. And she said, there might be one there with your name on it. And I said, oh, no, there won't be. <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, there could be. I said, oh, no, there won't be. And she said, how do you know? I said, because Coke will never produce a can with my name on it. So what's your name then? I said, Alan. She said, there'll be. No, I said, no, A-L-U-N. 
I have to go to Cardiff for one of them. There's not going to be one out here in Whoop Whoop, South Australia. It's just not there. See, and I've got to say to you, in this world, when they're writing names on cans of Coke, or plaques, or certificates, or whatever else, you might not find your name there. But that doesn't mean it's not in Cardiff. That's because that's as close to heaven most of you are ever going to get until you die. Isn't that right, David? No, you won't go there. Eh? But you see what I mean? Your name is written in heaven. And I, you are the people that make it happen. And you should just go home every day after serving God and say thank you. Thank you. You shouldn't go home and say, I don't think anybody really knew what I did today. I don't think anybody really appreciated what I did today. I worked so hard in this place. The pastor didn't even say thank you. It's been weeks since he said thank you. Just put all that stuff inspired by the devil behind you and just say thank you for my invisibility. Hmm? Thank you for my invisibility. And just keep on working for God. So from one invisible person to another, I relish my cloak of invisibility. Hmm? You don't have to be Harry Potter. You've already got one. You are invisible to many, but never invisible to God. And he's going to bless you for what you do, hmm? not for whom you seem to be. So, Father, thank you for these wonderful leaders. Many of them, Father, working, toiling for you, giving up, making sacrifices, Father, doing stuff that others don't know about, doing things that, Father, we didn't even, we didn't even realize has been done. But, Lord, we do it for you. We do it for you and the extension of your kingdom. We do it for you and, your, and our love for your church. And so, Father, bless these people abundantly as they continue to work invisibly for you, as they toil for you, as they do good invisibly, as they do good to others invisibly, as they pray invisibly to others. And, Father, you see it all, and I know you're going to bless them. And the secret of this church is growth and continued expansion and strength and increasing future, Father, and blessing in the future. It's the secret, Father, of, of its true dynamic, Father, is the many people who are prepared to be invisible and serve you and serve others, not looking for human praise, but receiving recognition from you alone. I thank you for them. I bless them. And may they be content in it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.